I'm not my story because I yeah. can always change it, you know? Hello and welcome back to This Is Me. My name is Heather Stark. Y'all, 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 y'all don't even understand how honored I am to bring you this podcast. It has been several months in the making and a lot of thought and a lot of prayer and a lot of planning have gone into this podcast. When I started This Is Me, I really thought I knew exactly what this podcast was going to look like and sound like and feel like. I thought I knew what it felt like when people shared their stories with me. It turns out that I, um, I know nothing. I know nothing about that feeling. I'm completely ignorant because you have started to reach out. You are reaching out and you are sharing your stories. And I'm so honored that I, um, I'm fighting to breathe because you just, in this beautiful way, you are knocking the air out of me. And then yet, you're supplying me with this whole other set of new oxygen that I've never breathed before. And it's, it's the most refreshing breath I've ever had. Today's podcast is about a woman named Sony. Sony was born in Liberia and overcame some pretty significant things. Uh, there is a trigger warning. There's some rape and mental um, anguish and suicide in Sony's story. But in the end, Sony is this woman that is laying her spirit out there for the rest of us to find something to hold on to. Her story is filled with the lessons that one learns when they learn to love and accept themselves, when they learn how badass forgiveness is, when they learn what real love truly feels like. Sony tells her story. I mean, the only way any of us can tell our stories, right? When I'm watching, when I was watching her go through those memories and connecting those dots that can only be connected when you're looking back, right? You can never, my favorite quote from Steve Jobs, you can only connect the dots looking back. You can't connect them looking forward. When Sony tells her story, she looks down and, and, and to the right. And I could l- literally see her replaying the memories and pulling out the bits and pieces that left her feeling worthless and broken and as though she were not enough. And I watched her weave it all back together, sew it back together to this quilt, this, this life quilt that she carries within her, in her spirit. And I'm, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it because I can't imagine the strength and the grit that this woman has. If I could just have a fourth of that, I think I'd be set for the rest of my life. I hope that you are able to pull, I know you will be able to pull something out of Sony's story. Her, her story is so vast and so deep. And it's just, she just, she just has so much to give. That I struggled to find the words to honor it all. 
so I'm going to stop talking now, and I'm I'm just going to invite you to listen to this um, to this story of this woman. It's the 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 pod. Her story is in two podcasts because, like I said, it's so vast and it's so deep that to condense it to one just didn't feel like uh, we were we were honoring her story the way it needed to be honored, even too. I mean, I think that that's, that's still cutting, cutting her off um, when she deserves so much space to be heard. So, Sony, when you listen to this, just know that you are reaching women and they're holding on to this bits and pieces of your story and your story is going to pull them through going to pull them through whatever it is that they're going through, whether they're experiencing what you experienced or they've ex- they are experiencing the emotion uh, that you experienced. You're helping to pull them through. And that, my soul sister, is one of the bravest, most vulnerable things you can do with your story. So here it is in two parts. Sony's story. The first time I heard about your story was from a mutual friend, Anne, and she said that Sony has an amazing story. And if you ever get to hear it, please do. And so then you joined the the board of the nonprofit, Gracefully Strong, that I run, and you um, had mentioned that you were going to start a YouTube channel. And I was like, okay, I've got to hear this story. Mm-hmm. And um, when I listen to your story, and we've talked about this before, you've talked about a lot of forgiveness and self-acceptance and self-love, um, and your story is so huge and so deep that I know that there are women that are just going to hear it, and they may not have the same exact experiences, but they're going to be able to pull something from this and identify. I mean, it's just going to reach so many women, so I'm so honored that you are here. So let's just dive in. So tell me where your story starts. First, I want to say thank you so much for um, this opportunity because I it's been something I've been wanting to do for a while and I've been extremely terrified. And I guess I kind of question like, who am I? You know, like why would people want to hear my story or why do my story matter mm-hmm. I felt it didn't matter you know and so um and I was afraid of being judged and you know criticized and people's comments you know for a long time so I steered away from it and um I realized that we all have a story and all of our, every one of us story matters yes and that's what kind of helped me to get into the process of wanting to do my YouTube so I'm extremely grateful for this opportunity. So, you know, rewind a little bit. So when I was two years old, I remembered um, from what my parents told me, my dad came to America on my birthday, um, July 18, 1987. And so when he came here, um, and I didn't remember much about my dad, I just knew he came to America and I was living with my mom. So that was all my mindset was wrapped around was my mom. I didn't understand. I knew I had a father, but I didn't know much about him. I didn't really hear too much about him. So I just kind of grew up not thinking about it or acknowledging that I have that. Just Mm -hmm. I knew that my mom was there. She was my caregiver. 
And then when I was about seven years old, um, my mom left 1992. And I asked her about the date, too, to confirm. She told me August 4th, 92. And she came to America. From where? From Liberia. Um, I'm originally born and raised or born in Liberia. And so um, my dad came first from Liberia and then my mom came, follow him later on to come to America. Um, my mom left us because she came as a visitor. Um, somebody had a mutual uh, friend that my dad knew. Um, he reached out to her and asked her if she can help my mom with the process. And so she went and um, wrote a letter to invite my mom to America as a visitor. And then my mom came and that's how come she ended up staying and her and my dad worked um, together. And then eventually they sent for my little brother and I. Mm -hmm. And so when I came to America, I was nine years old and I came in January of 95. So I was nine years old. And my little brother was seven years old when we came to America. So my life kind of took a 360 <laughs> when my mom left when I was seven years old. Um, there was a, we were living at the time with my grandma and my aunt, my mom's younger sister. And I can't remember what my aunt was doing at the time, but my grandmother, she used to work in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So she'll go in the marketplace and then we will go to school when we get home from school. We're usually in the neighborhood by ourselves. And there were other families, um, members that lived in the community. So what happened was we lived in a house and they had, it was kind of like an apartment, but it was an apartment. Yeah, it basically was an apartment. So there was an upstairs level and a downstairs level. And the downstairs had numerous probably about six to eight rooms and then the upstairs it was the same thing six to eight room and we had a room so in that room was myself my little brother my grandmother and my aunt and we had a one bedroom and um we would all sleep on the bed and I think my grandma would make a pad and sleep on the, on the floor or sometimes she would go sleep downstairs mm -hmm. with one of her sisters and stuff so that's kind of our was our living situation well, and before my mom, even talking to my mom this morning, I had to confirm that with her, too. She told me that before she even came to America, we were in a war. So we were in a, in a war. Um, the war actually started, like, towards the end of 89 and went into 1990. Mm -hmm. And we were living in the city, and the war started in a rural area. But then it came into the city, and then we had to evacuate the city, and we went to back to the rural area to a, a, another town where my grandmother's, I believe that's either her brother or cousin was, was living. And he was one of the big well-known person that, you know, in that town. Um, so we went to him and he had some of the rebels that were protecting us. So we, mm -hmm. you know, we were safe where we were living. And then when the war ended, my mom told me that we went to another town where mm -hmm. we lived for a little while. And then we lived there with the guy that she was, you know, dating at the time and he was helping us and we lived there for a little bit and then we left and she, once my grandmother came back from the town that we first went to mm -hmm. when the war um, came into the city, my grandmother was still there and then she came back into the city 
once the war had slowed down. So when she came back into the city, she moved back. My mom took us to the city to live with my grandmother. Um, and so we were kind of staying with my grandma until my mom came to America. So when she came to America, um, it was bittersweet. And I remember my mom leaving. I don't, I never remember my dad leaving, yeah. like I said, because I was young. Um, but I remember my mom leaving. I remember um, crying and feeling like she, you know, I, I didn't know how it was going to be, you know, and I was going to miss her. And she was crying when she was leaving us. We were crying. And then she left. And when she left now, I became the nurturer for my little brother. I call it parentified parent, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I was a parentified child <laughs> at the age of seven, wow. taking care of my five-year-old little brother. And um, it was just me and him. We were really close. And growing up, I was um, didn't talk. So mm -hmm. this is, you know, a lot of talking that I'm doing, you know, not. <laughs> but growing up, you couldn't hear a peep from me. Like, you know, there's this term called bubble. Like for people who don't really talk as much or like who are like deaf in here and don't speak. So people used to tease me sometimes and call me bubble and stuff like that. Um, and so and I was really attached to my little brother. He was my best friend. And I still am attached to him. And, you know, like siblings, we had our ups and downs. But I think out of all my siblings, I have a connection to him because I he went through the struggles with me so I yeah. felt kind of attached to him and I remember my mom saying when we were younger I would always hold his hand when we were walking and we were just really close and um when my mom left now at this time he's five and I'm seven and um I remember one time my grandma was at the market we came home I think she worked late and I don't remember what my aunt was because she wasn't around at that time and we were really hungry and we started going around the neighborhood to you know, get food from the neighbors and nobody wanted to give us anything to eat. And my brother, he ate a lot when he was younger. So he was really hungry. And then he kept telling me that, you know, he was hungry. So I held his hand and we kept walking around. There's this food in Liberia. We call it pankana. So I was looking for it. And I always used to like the white one. Is it a, a seed or it's, a... It's like a, it comes from like a palm, like the palm tree. Oh, okay. And it has like a nut in the inside of it. And okay. you break it open and you eat the nut. Okay. And so I really used to like that, um, especially the white one. It was more softer and sweeter. Mm -hmm. So we went around looking for it. And it was hard at the time to find it. So when you found it, you were, you know, you were mm -hmm. lucky. So we went kicking in the dirt and looking for it. And I saw like a hard, dark, dried up um, stuff. And I mm -hmm. thought it was pankana. So I picked it up, and um, my mindset is always to let my brother eat first before mm -hmm. I do. Wow. So I picked it up, and I gave it to my brother to eat. And then he spit it out, and he started crying. And he said, Sony, you made me eat poo-poo. Oh. And then I started crying. And oh. I gave him a hug, and I said, I'm so sorry. And then I just, he kept crying. I just kept hugging him. And I told him, I said, the next food I find, you can have it. I'm not going to mm -hmm. eat anything the next thing. We'll make sure it's pankana. It's real pankana. So the next one I have, you can have it. Mm -hmm. And um, so he said, okay. And I remember we went into the shop and someone in the shop had given us, um, there's this um, candy. It's called milk candy. They make it with like, um, what's the milk? 
it's not carnation milk. It's the thicker milk. Um, my mom just asked me for it yesterday. Uh, condensed milk. Condensed, yes. Yeah, they make yes. it with condensed milk. And so um, he asked me, the the person in the shop gave us the sweet um, mm. the the milk smell. candy. Mm-hmm. And then I gave it to my brother to eat. And mm. it didn't bother me that I was hungry, too. I, I was just more happy that he was able to eat. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's, that's kind of how we were when we got home. You know, sometimes my grandma would cook rice and leave it for us. And I was a picky eater, too. So I mostly just ate rice. I didn't like all the other stuff they cooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so she'll leave rice for us sometimes to eat or sometimes um, the neighbor will feed us it's just we had like a a lucky day you know mm-hmm. when you were lucky you got food when you, otherwise you didn't get food and then we waited till our grandma came from the market and she was able to bring us back food and then she brought us food and if not you know some days we went we drank water and you know went to sleep Wow. And, and so how old again? You were how old and looking after your brother? I was seven. Seven. I can't, I can't imagine seven-year-olds, you know, like my son is nine. I can't imagine the response, that responsibility. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, and it's, it's something that's common. <laughs> and um, I'm, even now my, my son's nine years old. My mom was just telling him yesterday and said, um, and I was nine years old. Years old, I was cooking. Like she used to have to go for the whole family, and you know, so it was it was common for kids that young to be, you know, taking care of their siblings and cooking and cleaning and going fetch water from the well. Mm-hmm. You put the buckets on your head and you, you know, take it. You walk miles to take it back home. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what kids did. And so I just got into that role. Yeah. You know, and so my brother and I and um. I remember even like when we were in the war, I would always hold his hand. My mom had said that when we were going to back to the rural area, when the war came into the city, like we used to have to dig holes, like at nighttime especially, to and then jump in a hole and stay there to cover ourselves up from, you know, the grenades, you know, wow. um, and sometimes to hide so we mm-hmm. won't get killed by the rebels. Mm-hmm. And this was the Liberian Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I had to experience all of that. And then um, there's this, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but it's called like Koshia call. Mm-hmm. And um, I ha- ended up having that and I blew up and I just swelled up my whole body. And, um, and she couldn't find medication for me. And she said that I died and came back alive. Oh, wow. She was able to get rice, a little cup of rice, and um, they cooked it and they fed me with it. And mm-hmm. they went and got some herb or something and gave it to me. And mm-hmm. that's why I was able to, you know, come back to life. So, And this is how you, as you were making your way to the, out of the city into the village? She, no, this was during the war. During the I war. Up, you know, okay. going, okay. that happening to me. So it was, you know, it was just stuff that. I experienced, and I don't know how it shaped me, but um, I guess it was a way of life. So I didn't think about it until now, and I'm realizing how much like it probably affected me mentally and spiritually. And I think because so I'm such a a very deep and passionate person, I mm-hmm. love so hard, and maybe that was all my my path, you know, yeah. of going through those experiences to mold me. I'm not my story because I yeah. can always change it, you know? Yeah. So, and, um, so the, the whole 360 part came when there was a guy 
that moved in upstairs. And he was sharing a room with, you know, some of my family members. I remember one day, the first time when I came home, and my little brother, we call it the yard. He used to go downstairs and go and play with the kids because we live upstairs. So when we got home from school, we go change our uniform and get, you know, put our play clothes on. And um, my little brother liked to play a lot. For me, I like to stay in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, stay right next to the house. I didn't like to go too far, um, except when I wanted to go look for him and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he went and went to go play in the yard with his friends and with my cousins and stuff that lived in the um, apartment complex that we lived in. So I came home that day, and as I'm closing the door to come outside, he's coming out of his door, um, and then he called me to come to him, and I started walking slowly to him. I didn't know what he wanted, so um, but I can picture it to this day. <laughs> Exactly the whole, you know, the whole thing that happened. And um, I remember I kept walking slowly to his door. Then when I got there, because he didn't close the door all the way. He was, he had still had it cracked and he's leaning in the door. And I'm like, you know, wondering why he was calling me, but I didn't ask him. Because like I said, I didn't talk much. And I, I was always afraid of getting in trouble. So I listened mm-hmm. to adults. Mm-hmm. And that's how I grew up. It's like. In our culture, and um, I remember my mom used to even tell us this for a while until, you know, she changed it up as she started to, you know, adapt to American culture and stuff, too. But she always used to say the parents right and the child's wrong. Mm. So, no matter what. Yeah. Mm. We didn't really have a voice. You don't have a voice with the parents. You don't have a voice with older adults. You have to respect them. And so when he called me, I just walked to him. And then he pulled me in the room and closed the door behind. And I, as I was going in the door, I turned to look to see if anybody saw him doing this. But nobody was in the hallway. Nobody saw him. And when he pulled me in the room, he closed the door behind. And I'm just standing there, not saying anything, and just shaking. And he pushed me on the bed, and he started to take my clothes off. And I'm still just laying there as he's doing all of this to me. And I start crying. But then when he, you know, got on top of me and started to penetrate me, that's when I started fighting and shaking. And then he put the pillow over my face. And he told me if I don't stop fighting, he's not going to move. If I stop fighting, he'll move the pillow. Uh-huh. And so I kept fighting and kept fighting until I felt like I was going to die, like I was going to suffocate. And then I stopped fighting. And then he took the pillow off. And... I just laid there and cried and didn't move, didn't fight, and I let him do whatever he has to until he got done, and I got up and walked out crying. And he told me not to tell anybody, and he told me if I told anybody, um, they won't believe me, and they'll pepper me, and they'll beat me. Pepper you? Like, when the kids get in trouble, they used to take, like, the Kanye pepper, mm-hmm. and then they'll put it in, the, especially with girls anyways, they'll put it in their private, in their butt. Oh. And then they'll beat them. And so, like I said, I never like getting in trouble. So, and so I sure didn't want to get peppered. No. <laughs> and I didn't want to get beaten because, you know, that was something that they would do is to whoop you. And I didn't want to get whooping. So oh my God. I didn't say anything. And it wasn't every day, but it was more days than I can count. <laughs> it went on from... 
when I was seven until I was nine. As time went by, though, my little brother kind of knew, but mm-hmm. he just didn't say anything. And I remember some days, like, he'll give my little brother food because he knew my brother liked eating. So he'll give him food and tell him to go play. Wow. And sometimes I remember one time when he got done, I came out of his room. My little brother's sitting by the door. He was sitting by the door waiting for me. And then he just gave me a hug. He didn't say nothing. He didn't ask me. And then he just um, went and played. <laughs> like wow. he does every other time. Wow. And then it became more often like he'll sit by the door and wait for me and her. Or sometimes he'll sit like on the stairs, going down the stairs to the other place. But he never said anything. Mm-hmm. He never asked me about it. He never talked about it. As an adult, have y'all talked about it? We did. We did. Yeah. And he still didn't go. I talked more than he did. So mm-hmm. one thing I told him, I said, um, I feel guilty. I feel that I... I kind of impacted my little brother's life. And I probably kind of, I don't know the word for it, but I, I feel like I kind of misconstrued his mindset about women. He was about four months when my dad left. So he grew up to just right. with his mom, you know, and um, growing up without your dad and then seeing this happen to your sister and seeing your sister walk into the room every time. And I know he he knows now, you know, that we're talking. And I don't think he ever blamed me for it because okay. he knew that we never really could say You're anything. And he knew that I, I didn't like getting in trouble. So he never blamed me. And he never admitted this when I asked him about it. But I, I think I, it's, it's a conversation I want to have with him a little more. But because we, we talk about it and we're open, you know, Mm-hmm. We don't hold back from each other and stuff. But I told him, I remember telling him, I said, I think that I kind of impacted your, your life, mm-hmm. your way of thinking, you know, how you view women, how you view men. And sometimes even the decisions and the choices you make in life, I think I kind of, or just seeing everything he saw me go through, kind you know, impacted his, what he, the choices he make now in life. Even though you're a victim in all of this, you still feel responsible. I do. That's heavy, and it's very interesting that you feel that. I've always felt responsible. You've always been put in that position of responsibility, whether you chose it or not. It mm-hmm. feels like that just fell on your shoulders, whether it was getting through a war or finding food, taking care of your brother. But even this, which, you know, you were just a victim in this. Yeah. So this continued for two years. Yeah. And um, I remember the, when my dad came to, and this was one of the boldest, boldest thing I think he did. Um, and it kind of messed with my head for a little bit, like, with my dad being there, he was so comfortable. I mean, my dad wasn't around, mm-hmm. around me, mm-hmm. but knowing that, okay, her dad's here in Liberia from America, and this is... When they came to get you. Yeah, my, my mom mm-hmm. stayed in America because she okay. didn't have... 
her um, citizenship at the time. Uh, and my dad mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. So my dad was the one who came to Liberia to get us. Mm-hmm. And um, well, even before that, my dad's niece, um, she li- recently just passed away a couple months ago. And we were so rest in peace. But um, she was walking up the stairs and saw me coming out of his room one time. And I was bleeding, had blood coming mm. down my leg. And she also added to the reason why I didn't tell people. Like, she put that fear in me because around this time, I'm, I think I'm about eight years old, and uh, I was relieved when I saw her because I'm like, thank God somebody just saw me come out of his room and she see that I'm bleeding and, you know, maybe she'll protect me. You know, maybe she'll believe me because... Mm-hmm. She she was my, my, my cousin, my first cousin. And she was older than me too. Mm-hmm. And she was a female, so I'm just thinking, okay, yeah, you know. Yeah, everything's in your corner. Yeah, she's gonna believe me. And she said and my accent's gonna come out a little bit. <laughs> she said, Sonny, you rude girl. Rude. Yeah. She called me a rude girl. Rude girl. And she called me man lapa. Like that's a, a girl who likes like a promiscuous girl sleeps around like a lot of men oh and she gosh. said you man lapa small girl like you you sleeping with that big man and she said i'm, I'm gonna tell on you and they're, and they're gonna <gasps> whoop you and they're gonna pepper you oh my gosh and um i remember i got on my knees and i heard her foot please don't tell please don't tell oh my gosh. i said it wasn't me it wasn't me please don't tell but she didn't tell so I was happy she didn't tell. Oh my but gosh, the she shame. never wanted to question him. Didn't say anything to him. And I just left. I don't know. To be honest, I don't even know if she even had a conversation with him. Mm-hmm. When she told me, she said, leave my leg, get up. And I think when she said that, I think a little bit of her believed me, especially since I was begging her like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But she never said anything. So I just ran downstairs, went in the backyard Rinse myself up, oh my and gosh. not too long after that, I started getting my menstrual cycle. Wow. At eight years old. Eight years old. And I didn't know what it I meant. Mean, I didn't know that it meant you could get pregnant. I just didn't. I didn't know. Had you? Had anyone ever talked to you about? Nope. I never had a t- sex talk. I never had to talk about. I didn't know. Even oh know women gosh. bleed. I didn't. I didn't know that happened. Later on, my aunt saw me. And she, all she knew was her cycle came, and mm-hmm. she just told me to go wash myself up. And then that was it. I think she needs to give me like cloth or something to put yeah. in my underwear. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I cannot imagine. Yeah. How very, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that to me is a very lonely feeling to not know what's I've happening. I've always been a loner though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. So much. So your dad has finally come mm-hmm. to get you and your brother. Yep. And um, so I call this my going away gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I started trying, started recently trying to write about it. Um, everything that I ha- that happened to me, and um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to call this mm-hmm. part of my life, and that was the title I came up with. Came going up away with gift. my going away gift. Okay. Most people that hear this, they think, you know, she got a gift. Yeah. That's what I felt like I got. So 
my dad wasn't around. Then he went to go visit one of his um, best friend. And my grandma went to the market that day. And he knew that I was leaving. So he I'm talking t- about this gentleman yeah. that's been victimizing you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he told one of his friends, I guess, that I'm leaving. And so him and his friend came over that day. And then I was, and I didn't, I guess I heard, I remember when they came upstairs, I heard his door close. And it wasn't just him living in that particular apartment, but I just, my heart started beating. I got scared. Mm-hmm. So I stayed in the apartment a little bit, mine apartment now, because mm-hmm. I, I went to get something and I was coming back out. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I stayed a little bit trying to listen to see if I hear his door close. And I waited for a little while, but I didn't hear it close. Um, but I didn't hear anything either. Mm-hmm. So I started to come outside and I looked and I didn't see him. Mm-hmm. Not knowing he's in his apartment, but peeping. Mm-hmm. And so when I came outside and I closed the door, he was right behind me and then he grabbed me and but this time around I felt like I could fight and like scream or whatever because I'm my mindset is like I'm going to America I don't even care anyway you know mm-hmm. and so um but he put the pillow over my face mm-hmm. and nobody heard me and I scream and this time I'm like if I die at least people will come in this room and see that I died he killed me or something mm-hmm. So I said, I didn't care if I suffocate under this pillow. I was going to scream. Mm-hmm. And I screamed and I screamed and I screamed and I screamed. He had the pillow over okay. my face. Okay. So nobody could hear me. And he told me, he said, he'll move the pillow if I get got quiet. So I remember I got quiet. He moved the pillow. I started screaming mm-hmm. again. He put the pillow back. And um, he left the pillow and I screamed until I couldn't scream anymore. And I literally was like lightheaded and I felt like I was going to die mm-hmm. and I really wanted to come to America <laughs> my mom had a child at the mm-hmm. time my little brother now and so I'm like I, I want to see my little brother and I want to see my mom I don't want to die here so I stopped screaming and he moved the pillow mm-hmm. and he did what he had to do he got done he got off of me and then his friend came Oh, my gosh. And his friend had sex with me. Your going away gift. That was my going away gift. Now I had two people. Oh my gosh. And I remember he told his friend when I came in the room, he said, this is my little chamo I was telling you about. Chamo? Chamo. Chamo. It's like little girlfriend, a little side chick or something like that. Oh, wow. His friend did. And I, I honestly don't remember the friend's face. I didn't even look at the friend. Mm-hmm. And the whole time he's been doing this, I never felt betrayed by him until this time. You never felt betrayed by him until this. That's so interesting. And the reason why I think I felt betrayed, because I had gotten to to a point to where I started to like it. Mm. Okay. And I remember... One time I even walked willingly to the door and waited for him. And then he started laughing. He said, look at you. You liking it now, huh? Wow. You hear about that, though, victims that, that start caring about. Yeah, because I, I felt like he liked me. I mm-hmm. felt like he cared about me. Mm-hmm. And I felt it was 
what was supposed to happen if somebody mm-hmm. cared about you. Yeah. Wow. And so... And you had nothing to tell you any differently. No. Nothing. No one. Not even him. And so that's why I felt betrayed because mm-hmm. I realized that mm-hmm. this man really didn't care about me. I was nothing to him because he was willing to share me with somebody wow. else. Wow. You're telling me these stories and I can, you, you kind of look away and I can, it's almost like, I'm ashamed. Yes. That. And, and you're seeing it happen oh, yeah. in your brain again. It's and all I, in my head. It's and just to, to have to go through that again and again and again. That's the hard part is that I remember it in my head. Yeah. And, and when you go through the healing journey, you heal as far as forgiving yourself and forgiving the person, mm-hmm. but you don't lose those memories. Yeah. And one of the hardest things that I struggle with is my thoughts and my memories. It's there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I try to bury it. You know, when I'm in my happy days or when I'm with my kids, you know, with my husband and I bury those. Mm-hmm. And I, I bury them, but they're there. Yeah, because I try my hardest to put my mindset on what's going on at that time mm-hmm. and be happy with my kids and be happy with my mm-hmm. husband. But it doesn't go away, especially at nighttime. Mm-hmm. Nights are the worst. Nights are the worst. And so I always tell my, <laughs> I don't sleep. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I don't sleep because my, my mind doesn't sleep. Mm-hmm. Like I'm asleep, but my mind doesn't sleep. Mm-hmm. And, um, my husband always asked me, he's like, you look like you're sleeping. Why, why aren't you sleeping? Like, do we need to get you some stuff to sleep? Mm-hmm. I said, that's the thing. Like, you give me some stuff to sleep, I'll be even more tired because even though I'm sleeping, my mind doesn't sleep. Mm-hmm. My mind doesn't shut off. Yeah. So I struggle figuring ways to shut my mind off. Yeah. And so I have to, what keeps me going is my faith. Mm-hmm. Praying, and sometimes I try to listen to gospel music before I go to bed. I read a lot of Bible plans. Read the Bible a lot. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. Read Psalms a lot. As, <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. So that helps sometimes to, you know, slow it down. But, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. thing is, your story doesn't end here. There's still more stuff mm-hmm. to keep those thoughts going. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. I came to America and uh, my parents. They were together briefly. Mm-hmm. So when I came, maybe about a, maybe about two years, mm-hmm. then my dad left. And even when I came here, I didn't know how to be close to my dad. I didn't know how to be close to men. I didn't know how to be close to boys. Yeah. And for some reason, I mean, I can't say some I knew the reason why, but I hated boys. The only person I tried not to hate was my dad. Mm-hmm. I tried to like him, but I didn't know how to. Mm-hmm. And the only man, boy, that I truly loved and didn't have any hate in my heart was my little brother. Yeah. Not the baby, but right. the one. Yeah, because you've had, your parents had a, yeah. another son yeah. in America, but the one that you were with. Yeah. I was just, like, he wasn't, I never put him in any category with anybody. He mm-hmm. was, still saw him as, you know, my best friend. I was close to him. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I love him. I love him, not love, but you know, mm-hmm. I love him, and so I just, I was, I was comfortable with him, but I didn't know how to 
be comfortable with anybody else. So I started having problems in school. And then they called my mom and they told her, they said, oh, um, your daughter, she's, you know, being mean to the little boy, the boys. And we're, you know, we don't know what's going on. And my mom asked me, and then I told her what happened in Liberia. And your mom asked you what was going on? Yeah, or? why am I like that oh, with okay. the boys? Mm-hmm. Then I told her, I said, I don't know how to like them. And then I told her what happened. And then my mom told me, she said, Sony, you have to figure out a way to heal from it. It happened to me too. Wow. <laughs> so I just, and at this time, I just felt like I'm about 10 years old now, 10, 11. So I just felt like it was something that was normal. Because mom had Because my mom, it happened to her too. And then I asked her, I said, how many times did it happen to you? She said, once. So I told her, I said, I don't want to compare. It happened to you one time. Mm-hmm. It happened to me for two years, more than once. Yeah. And my said last time was with two people. Mm-hmm. You had one person. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, and you were a little bit older. I was younger, so how do you expect me to get over that? Yeah. She said, pray. Pray. And at that time, I, I wasn't in, I didn't know about my faith. Mm-hmm. So, and what is be, praying yeah, to you? Yeah, you know, yeah. to be honest, I just felt like, why should I pray when, you know, God let all this other stuff happen to me? So mm-hmm. why does it matter for me to pray? Yeah. So I didn't care to pray. And she said she'll pray for me. But she said, you have to let it go. You have to let it go. And that was all I kept getting. I got upset because I felt that wasn't something my mom should have said. But then she mm-hmm. said that, I don't, you don't even know the person's name. You just remember his face. I said, yeah, because his face is always in my head. Mm-hmm. And she said that um, I can't go back to Liberia and do anything to him. So we just have to work on you letting it go. And um, that was after that. Me and my mom talked about that, and then that was it. That I was remember it. she didn't talk to me about it again. She didn't ask me how I was feeling, if I was healing. Nothing, nothing else came up. That was the. Why do you think that is? I think, and I, I try to be careful how I say things. I can only speak from my experience, mm-hmm. but growing up, I felt like. Um, in the Liberian culture, and this could be like probably most African culture in general, but I don't want to generalize. But in my culture, from what I when I grew up, what I saw was there wasn't much affection. Like even at that time, after I, I told my mom, she didn't tell me, "Oh, I love you," and give me a hug, and you know, none of that. I didn't hear "I love you" from my parents. Probably I hear it more when I'm older now than I did when I was younger. I don't even remember them telling me they loved me. To be honest. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mom worked hard and provided for us, and I think for her that was probably her way of showing us that she loved us, mm-hmm. and that was it. I don't remember ever hearing it from my dad until I got older, yeah, and said it to him first. Mm-hmm. Wow, you know. So, um, and I, when I said older, like more in my teenage, mm-hmm. you know, years and mm-hmm. stuff. 
growing up, I didn't hear that from my parents. So I think my mom didn't really know how to be affectionate because mm-hmm. she didn't get that either. So mm-hmm. how can you give somebody something you didn't get and you don't know how to? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not trying to like justify things, but that's just common sense. It's the way mm-hmm. of life. Like, yeah, yeah. if I'm being brought up with love, I'm going to know how to give love. If I'm being brought up without love, I'm not going to know how to give something out that I've never experienced exactly. or that wasn't visual to me. You know? Right. That, that, I mean, that's, that's truth. So, that's you know, true. So that's, yeah. that's kind of why I felt, you know, my mom handled it the best that she knew how. Yeah. You know, and because um, she didn't always have the best of relationship with her mom either. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a generational yeah. thing. Kind and of. Like unfolding. I said, and, and that goes... I guess down the road I could talk about that, but into mm-hmm. the whole generational curse thing, that's something that me and my mom talk about a lot now. You know? Generational curse. Yeah. And okay. she strongly believed that. Okay. So explain a little bit. You said you, when we get down the road, you'll talk about it, but explain generational curse. Will you define that? Um, I guess from the way I understand it is um, something that hunts your family, mm-hmm. like your family line. Mm-hmm. Like it just is, it, it becomes a path. It happens to this person, mm-hmm. and then it goes back, and, and it's not a good thing. Yeah. So that's why they call it a curse. Yeah. And it goes on from generation to generation. Like for example, my mom, little sister, my aunt. My mm-hmm. mom was with my dad for eighteen years. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a little break in between here and there, but mostly they were together for the eighteen years, and uh, mm-hmm. they never got married. It was just traditional. Ah. Okay. I don't know if my grandma was ever married. I yeah. knew my, my grandma on my mom's side. And, um, I don't think she was married to my grandfather. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but even if they were, they broke up, they didn't stay together. If it's safe to say for the, the younger generation, mm-hmm. for my mom's generation and down, I don't remember any of them being married except my aunt. Yeah. And so marriage wasn't something I knew of mm-hmm. or understood. Oh. You know, and now for our generation, I think I kind of started the the marriage mm-hmm. um, with my first marriage, and then it didn't work out. And then, you know, now my marriage that mm-hmm. I'm in. And then my little brother um, next to me, mm-hmm. he got married, too, and he's still married, but he's going through a divorce right now, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel... and. I feel it's up to me, you know, mm-hmm. to break that generational curse. Mm. Okay. Even though there's been like a roller coaster, mm-hmm. because like I said, I got married and now I got divorced, now I'm married again. But, you know, and even at the beginning of my, me and my husband's relationship, it wasn't, you know, the best. We had a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, arguments and disagreements. And I know most of it was because I wasn't healed. And so I brought out that anger and resentment into the relationship. Because you still have some more to your story. Yeah. Yeah. So what other things did you experience that you, you brought into your marriage? Well, um, so like I said, with my parents, my dad, mom and dad were together not too long. And then my mm-hmm. dad left. And when my dad left... My dad got married, never told us. Oh. Yeah. We were oh, invited wow. to the wedding. We didn't know he got married. We, wow. I actually heard from my uncle that my dad had gotten married. Mm-hmm. I didn't, never met his wife. I didn't know who she was, nothing. There were times we didn't talk to our dad for a long time. Mm-hmm. We, meaning me and my 
two younger brothers. We didn't have the best of relationship. Uh-huh. And to be honest, it wasn't something where, you know, when kids don't sometimes don't have their fathers, they, uh-huh. you know, feel bad because we weren't used to having that. Me and my okay. brother yeah. next to me anyways. I, I can't really speak for the youngest one, but we weren't used to having a dad. So it was just like, okay, he's gone again. You know, we're going to keep <laughs> on going on with our lives. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of how, not to put words in, you know, my little brother's mouth, but, you know, when, even when we talked, that's kind of how he perceived it too. So um, we were living with a single mom and my mom worked a lot. My mom worked sometimes like two and a half jobs, two full-time and a part-time. So, again, I became this parentified child now with two kids that I'm having to take care of. And so, I'm about 11, 12 years old. And um, my mom would work and we'll write. I, I learned how to forge my mom's signature <laughs> because I would have to sign field trip slips and stuff for yeah. my little brothers. So, i fill out the forms and then sign and um, I figured maybe that's why I got a good penmanship. <laughs> so, um, and leave it on her pillow and then tell her, like, we need, like, $5 or $10, whatever mm-hmm. it costs. And then she'll leave it on her pillow. So the pillow was our communication spot. Wow. We'll go and get it off the pillow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think around this time, too, my little brother was getting older. And start, some anger started to come out of him. The, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I felt yeah. like this is my best friend. But around this time, like, me and him used to fight a lot. Because now I'm having to tell him what to do. Yeah. And he he's a little bit older now. And he don't want to listen to me. And stuff. Yeah. So there was a lot of that. And then it got to a point where we used to go see our dad. And we fell out with him again. For me, anyways, the reason I fell out for him, we wanted to go see him and his wife. We went to a Chinese restaurant. So my dad said everybody could order anything they wanted to order. So... Everybody liked rice. So everybody <laughs> orders Chinese rice and stuff. And I wasn't the big fan of rice. Like mm-hmm. I said, when I was younger, that's all I kind of ate. So, you know, when I, since I came to America, I really didn't like rice as much. And so I wanted, I used to like seafood. So I wanted, um, I think that it was like crab. And the crab, I remember to this day, was about $14 and some change. Everybody else's food was like $10 or under mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And so his wife said, why don't I eat? the food that everybody else is eating because everybody's getting the same thing. And I said, no, um, I want the crab. I don't want to eat rice. Like why, if everybody ordered rice because they wanted to eat rice, why should I have to eat rice? Mm-hmm. And then she said, um, this is my problem with you guys. I, 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 and that's why when y'all come, I try to stay away. And I told you, and I come first in your dad's life and y'all need to understand uh-huh. that. And the moment she said those words, I come first in your dad's life, I turned and looked at my dad, and he didn't say anything. Oh, wow. And he didn't say anything. And um, so my dad, but then later on he said, Sony, eat everything we're eating. I'm not ordering the crap. So I said, no, I'm not eating. And then he said, if you don't eat, then you're not going to get anything else to eat. And around this time, I'm stubborn <laughs> because now it's like anger and everything yeah, is building up. Yes. So... I still didn't talk as much, but mm-hmm. you couldn't get me to do what I didn't want to do. Yeah. And no so, more of that. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, <sighs> he told me I wasn't going to eat. So I said, in my mind, I'm like, I guess I'm going to be fasting then because I'm not eating. Mm-hmm. So I didn't eat. Mm-hmm. 
we left the restaurant and the reason why he took us to the restaurant because we were getting ready to go back to Minnesota to my mom because at this time he's living in Delaware. Mm-hmm. So we went to the restaurant to you know eat and then get ready to go. So I told him I'm not eating. We got home to his house. I didn't eat at his house. And he told me since I want to be stubborn, he's not going to um, buy anything for me and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I said, that's fine. I didn't care. The next day, my dad took us to the airport. And I remember to this day, he gave my two little brothers a hug and told them bye. And my dad didn't say anything to me. and didn't give me a hug. I put my dad in the category of my rapist. Mm. I felt like this was another man that was never there for me and continues to hurt me. Yeah. So I'm pissed at this time at him. Mm -hmm. And I refused to talk to him. So I went home and I never called my dad. And I didn't speak to him probably for about two years or so. And he didn't call either. And he was fine with it. It was always been a roller coaster with my dad and our relationship. You know, Mm -hmm. and he said some extremely hurtful things to me. But I've always been the one to apologize. Like to this day, as I'm talking today, my dad has never once told me he's sorry for anything. Like my dad has told me that I have my brain in my bottom, mm-hmm. my backside. I need mental. Pro- I have mental problems, and you know, just some other hurtful stuff. Yeah. And I feel as a father, like you should never have to say that to your kids. And the sad part about it is that I've always been wanting to be daddy's little girl. Uh, I've always wanted that. So I've always yeah. wanted to have a relationship with my dad. And I think that's why I've always apologized to him. Yeah. Because I go for a while without talking to him, but I always wanted that relationship. Of course. And so I apologize, but he never. He, and when I apologize, usually it's through text message and then he won't respond because he said he doesn't text. Mm. So he won't respond, which I I gotten used to and said, I know he's not going to respond, but let me just apologize through that. And then I'll call him. Then mm-hmm. when I call him, we just start talking like nothing ever happened. Wow. And just that's how we've always went on with our relationship. So that happened. And, you know, me and my dad, we have a relationship now. We talk. Even when I get off the phone, I'll tell him I love you. And, you know, but that that hurt is still there. Sure. But. I get scared to even bring it up and have the conversation with my dad because I don't want him to say something hurtful to me and I don't want us to fall out again because he's in my life and he's, you know, he talks to his grandkids and, you know, so I just leave it like that and deal with whatever I'm feeling and just Mm -hmm. shut up about it. And it sucks, but (laughs) I'm just like, I don't, I don't know why I do that. I guess it's, I know, but. I guess I don't want to go too much into it, but yeah. um, I guess just talking to him is enough for me. So I yeah. just leave it at that and say he have a relationship with his grandkids too. Okay. So that's fine. And then that happened. That went by. I remember um, when I was about 13, we went to a wedding and I had a dress on and I hated wearing dress. I hated wearing skirts. I just felt those things were revealing. I didn't want to uh, give any man any reason to be attracted to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, that day we wore, I wore a dress and we went to a wedding and a guy tried to pull me. Well, not tried to. He pulled me into the bathroom at the wedding reception. Oh, my goodness. And I started screaming. And I remember my older cousin on my dad's side. She heard me and she came in and started cussing him out. And then he left me and I'm just... I'm shaking. Yeah. And then my mom said, oh, my God. 
she already knew that it was, you know. So my mom told my cousin, she said, she said, sister, your little sister was raped before. So that man just kind of reminded her. And so we have to go. Then she told my aunt was with us that day. And then my aunt was like, nonchalant about it. Like, you know, just to me, very insensitive. You know, and she's like, oh, Sony, the man ain't trying to do nothing to you. Just, you know like that mm. and she said some other stuff i don't remember her exact words but i remember her saying oh sony the man ain't tried to do nothing to you he, he wasn't trying to hurt you and my mom told her she said she said her name and then she said you don't know because she hadn't heard the story at the yeah. time no we left my mom did take me from okay. that way oh yeah that was the second time uh-huh. um well that was you know, my first encounter with another man since, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. coming from Liberia. Then when I was about 14, my mom had a pastor coming to our house to rent a room. And, you know, I'm still this not talking, mm-hmm. respecting your elders. You know, um, I wasn't talking to my dad either. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have too much anger. I just had it just whatever buried down. And I was just dealing with it every day, mm-hmm. just letting it up, eat me up, you know. Mm-hmm. And so my brother, myself, and the pastor, we were sitting in the dining room, and he threw a ball. I think it was like a tennis ball, asked him to go pick up the tennis ball. And even before that, I noticed him started looking at me funny, and mm-hmm. just I just felt kind of weird, you know, with him. But I didn't, he didn't touch me or say anything, so I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. look too much into it. I just felt that uncomfortableness with him. It's your gut. Yeah. Mm. It was my gut. And um, he threw the tennis ball. He told me to go pick it up. So I picked up the tennis ball. And then he said, Sony, um, and when I, when I, I remember I picked it up and I got up. He told me to, he did it two, three times after that, just because he wanted to see me bend over oh. and pick it up. And right in front of my brother. A pastor. Yeah. This was bold of him. He asked me, he said, do you like your, he started off with my eyes. Like, do you like your eyes? And I'll say, yeah. And then he said, do you like your nose? And I'll say, yeah. He said, do you like your lips? Then I started to really get uncomfortable. And then he said, what other part of your body do you like? Oh my gosh. In front of your brother. Yeah. My brother just sitting there too. But my brother looked at me. And I and, and I could see the look in his face like, oh, oh. Yeah, here it and goes. Here it goes again. And um, he said, do you like your lips? And I stopped answering him. And then he said, what about down there? And I didn't know what he meant by, I mean, I knew, but I didn't want to answer. Right. And I didn't answer. So the first time I remember he like, pulled me into his room the room he was renting and he like put his hand in my pants and fingered me and then um he like started touching my breast and rubbing me in front of me with clothes on yeah um and then he told me to like bounce up and down his leg in front of him and he Mm -hmm. was sitting on the bed Mm mm-hmm and he told me to sit in front of him. And then I sat in front of him. And I just, like, started shaking. And I froze. And I, at this time, I was like a robot. 
like whatever he said, I just did it. He didn't. And he wanted me to be moving up and down, like rubbing on it with my clothes on and with his clothes on. But um, that was the first time. And then it'd just be a little time here and there. He'll pull me and like squeeze my face and tongue kiss me. He'll squeeze my breast, put his hands in my pants mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I remember my aunt, my mom's best, best friend, she came over the house that day and then she said, and I was sitting like shaking back and forth, rocking back and forth okay. by the wall. Yeah. And she said something to me. I didn't hear what she said. And then she looked over. She came to me. She said, Sonia, is somebody bothering you? And I'm just shaking. I wouldn't answer. And then she went to my little brother. She said, is somebody bothering your sister? And then he shook his head. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then she said, who? But he wouldn't say. And then I think I remember, I think he kind of like pointed. Mm-hmm. And but he wouldn't tell her. And then she told me and said, tell me. But he wouldn't say anything. And I think he probably didn't say anything because he probably thought the pastor was in his room. And then um, she pulled me to the side. She said, Sony, tell me if somebody's bothering you, you can tell me. And then I said, yeah, but I didn't tell her who either. And she left. And um, while she was leaving, I remember we had like a little hall um, front entrance. Then before you came into our house, she stood there and she called my mom and she said, my accent's going to come out again. She said, you're working, you're working so much. There's something going on with your kids and you don't even know. And some, somebody's bothering Sony and you need to come home and find out. And so my mom came home later that day, put, called me upstairs to her room and asked me about it. And I told her. And then she said, Sony, you sure? I said, yeah. She said, if you're lying, I'll whoop you. I said, and I started crying because she said the word whoop, and yeah. I didn't want to get whooping. Yeah. So I told her, I said, Mom, um, I'm not lying. I'm like, we've had a lot of people here, a lot of other men, my uncles, them, that have been renting room from us. And I never once said any of that, but any of them. So why would I lie on him? Why would I lie on him? And she said, let's go. We're going to go downstairs. And she grabbed me by the hand and took me downstairs to his room and Oh my gosh. Terrified. Oh my gosh. My heart feel like it's about to jump out my chest. (laughs) And um we get downstairs and then she said, Pastor, I'm sorry to bother you, but um Sony told me something and said that you've been messing with her inappropriately, sexually, or something like that, she said to him. And then he hit his chest and he said, Me? Oh my god, me? Me, he said, Sony, Sony, you you doing this to me? Me, Sony, you doing this to me? And I'm just standing there. And I turned to my mom and I started crying. I said, Mom, it's true. I'm not lying. It's true. Mom, it's true. And then he said, I just want to say this part. Of all the many times, and I know that this pastor never penetrated me and none of that stuff, but of all the times that my perpetrator in Liberia did what he did to me, never hated him. And I don't know why, but it was easier for me to forgive him than it was for me to forgive the pastor. 
because I feel like that pastor took a lot from me because at that time I'm, I was also trying to figure out my faith, figure out, find myself in God. And he took that away. Yeah. He shaped my mindset with pastors and with church. Yeah. And that's why I hated him for a very long, very long time. Mm -hmm. And he stood in front of my mom and lied. He said, Sonia's a good girl. She's a good girl. And, you know, she's really quiet and she's respectful. So I just took to her and tried to be nice to her. And now this is a problem she wants to put me in. Oh this is what you want to do to me. Oh, my God, Sony. Me, oh Sony, goodness. me, me. And he just kept saying that. And my mom said, and I, I hate saying this part because I don't want people to judge my mom. Mm -hmm. But at the time, like, I'm not going to lie. I hated her, too. Yeah. I think that's She's, natural. She told him sorry she told me to apologize to him and she told me if I tell anybody she'll beat me and I never told anybody yeah. until I got older and that was I wasn't always like the closest with my mom when I was younger mm -hmm. but I started to be a little bit closer to her and grow more with her as my mom and as, uh -huh. you know the mother-child relationship and that day everything crashed and I can't help but wonder that the the way you feel towards this man this pastor if part of that is because of what happened now between you and your mom I mean he he made you out to be a liar mm -hmm. and that interrupted this relationship mm -hmm. yeah I and I, she said and I know my mom had believed me, and and later on she admits she told me too because me and my mom had a conversation about this, and my mom has apologized so much to me, yeah. and she feels so terrible for it because after she made me apologize to him, mm -hmm. I ran to my room, and that day I remember that was my first time becoming more and more suicidal. I just felt. I hated her. I felt I didn't belong in a family. I felt that I was like a stork just dropped me and said, be with these people or something. Like I didn't, mm. I didn't fit in. I didn't connect. Like, you know, I was just this missing piece, you know, that didn't fit with the puzzle, you know, and I, and I felt my mom hated me. I felt she loved my brothers more than she loved me. And I told her that a lot of times and I felt betrayed by her. And the reason I say that, because after she made me apologize to him, the pastor, he stopped for a little bit to not bother me. And he stayed in our house. But also, um, he had moved out around this time. and then But he was still having church in our basement. And so... Church in your basement. Yeah. In the house where he is molesting you. Yeah. He is holding yeah, services. In the basement. Yeah. And I remember when he used to have his church service... And this is how I knew my mom <laughs> believed me because she would always tell me I didn't have to go to church. Oh, wow. She never, and my mom always made us go to church. Mm -hmm. It was a must. Like, we, we used to wake up Sunday morning. Like, if you ask any of my family members, especially my cousins mm -hmm. growing up with us, 
It didn't matter. You were my friend. You were my cousin. Whatever. You came to our house. You had to wake up in the morning and pray. Mm-hmm. We had church service. We sung songs, said Bible verses, and then we prayed. Mm-hmm. You had to, even mm-hmm. if you didn't know the song, you had mm-hmm. to come and try to learn it. That was a must. But when this happened, my mom didn't force me to go to church. Mm-hmm. When she was, whenever she was going to his church, anyways, yeah. she always tell me like, "You don't have to come." So I stayed, of course. And even if she didn't tell me, she would have had to kill me to take me down because yeah. there was no way I was going to go anyway. And um, but she didn't make me go, so I always stayed in my room. Mm-hmm. And she'll go, and my brothers and would go. So that's when the I think the hate for my mom started to sprue and get mm-hmm. bigger mm-hmm. and bigger mm-hmm. because I'm just like. Not only made, didn't believe me, because I didn't think she believed me at the time, um, I said, but you made me apologize to him, and you're still going to his church. So that day, he came to have church service downstairs in the basement. My mom was cooking. She asked me to go get mixed vegetables. And I ran in the basement, opened the big, we had a big, deep freezer. I opened it up. It took me forever. And, you know, it, it took you one second to lift up the freezer and close it, but mm-hmm. literally... It took me, I would say, probably a minute to open that freezer. What were because you? in the base where the freezer room was, mm-hmm. we also had another room down there that was a laundry room. Mm-hmm. And then there was like a storage spot in the laundry room where the pastor would store his like chairs and other stuff for the church service in the basement space. Okay. So he was in the back in that room. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And so when she sent me, I didn't want to go. And then she said, oh, go go get the stuff for me, man. The, the, the men are going to do anything to you. Everybody's here. Mm. That's what my mom said. Mm. Because she thought it was daylight, daytime, mm-hmm. and people were coming for a church service. Like, he wasn't going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so I went, and I ran downstairs. And um, You're trying to be quiet. Yeah. And... Um, but I ran though. When I yeah. got when I was going down the stairs, I ran because and, I knew he was in the other room. Okay. But when I got that, when I made it downstairs, now mm-hmm. I was trying to be as quiet oh as I could be because mm-hmm. I didn't want him to hear me open the freezer yeah. and especially not close the freezer. Uh, so I was. It was like this was like an exciting time for me. For some, <laughs> it was crazy, but I was all happy that I opened the freezer without him hearing me. And I got the mixed vegetables in my left hand. And I kept closing the freezer as slowly as I could. The moment I got done closing the freezer, I turned around. Oh. He was right behind me. Literally, as soon as I turned around, he was in my face. Oh, my gosh. It's like a horror movie. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He was in my face. And I remember I just dropped the bag. Dropped it on the floor. And he squeezed my cheek and he tongue kissed me. And that was the first time he, like, I got the courage and I kicked him in his pride. Yeah. And I ran all the way upstairs and went past my mom and I went upstairs for because it was a three level. We yeah. had upstairs the regular floor and then we had the basement. Yeah. So I, my mom was on the regular floor, the middle floor, and I ran past her on the middle floor and I went all the way upstairs to my room nonstop. And as I was running, oh, I could hear my mom say, oh, my God, he did it again. Oh, my God, he did it again. Oh, wow. He did it to my daughter. He did it to oh, my daughter. Wow. Oh, my God. He did it again. Yeah. And my mom started crying. Like, my mom was, like, so... I can't even describe the words she was feeling, but I think like she was extremely angry at herself more than mm-hmm. she was angry at him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she told me that 
because she always knew that I was telling the truth because that that was one thing she said she was always proud to tell her tell people about her kids. Her kids didn't lie and it didn't steal. Mm-hmm. And so she knew I wasn't lying, but she just at the time my mom was afraid too. She wasn't a citizen in America and she didn't have like a permanent status. She was on what they call TPS, temporary okay. status. And so um, she had to renew that every year. And we're, we were citizen because my dad was a citizen when he brought us. Okay. And, um, but my mom wasn't. So her fear was always they were going to take us from her if they found out that she had a rapist in her house. Mm-hmm. Um, they were going to take us from her and put us in foster care, give us to our dad, and then deport her. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't going to be able to see us. Wow. And because of that fear? Because of that fear. She, that's why she told me not to say anything. Wow. She didn't want people to know. She didn't want it to be an escalated case because she didn't know how things was going to go. Yeah. She was just trying to protect us the best that she knew how. Yeah. And um, this time around, she was just like, I betrayed my daughter. And she came upstairs and she said, Sonia, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's all my mom kept telling me. And she hugged me and I kept pushing her out for mm-hmm. me. And then, and I pushed her off too because I was upset that she brought my little sister's dad and my godfather, who was a, also a pastor, mm. and they're men mm-hmm. to talk to me. Oh, okay, at that moment. Yeah. So I'm like, you think a man just did this who was also a pastor? And my, my little sister's dad didn't really, we didn't get along, me mm-hmm. and him. Mm-hmm. I didn't really care for him. And, Honestly, I don't think he cared for me either. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you brought somebody who I really don't care for. And then you brought somebody who was a pastor. And he's a man. And you think I'm supposed to sit here and talk with them? Like, mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. And she kept asking me, and I wouldn't say anything to her. Mm-hmm. And she explained to them what happened the first time. And then so they told her and said, we just got to you know, keep it quiet. And then ask him to never come back. So that's what they did. They asked him to, they move, asked him to move his church and tell his church members that he was going to be having it somewhere else and to not come back. Wow. And he didn't. But then my mom, wherever he was having church, my mom used to go to his church. So he moved out, but mom kept going to his church. And it wasn't, she She was in a, in that my God's, godfather's church at the time. Mm-hmm. But she would go to his church here and there on occasions. That's interesting. And I started to like forgive my mom after that, after he moved out, because I felt, you know, she was protecting me and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like she was now. But then when I found out that she was, because my mom wouldn't tell me she would be going to his church. Sometimes she'll say, I'm visiting another church. So you guys don't have to go or something. Or she'll tell me I don't have to go. But I didn't put two and two together until I figured out one time that it was his church that she went to when she came home. I forgot how I found out, but I found that out. So I got upset with her. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we never, not never, I don't like to use never, but we didn't have a good relationship for a while. My mom and I, we mm-hmm. fought and argued a lot. So many dynamics there. Yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. And that was the time with the pastor and... Um, I remember when I was getting married to my son's dad, mom went and invited him to my wedding. Invited him. I felt like, and I told her, I said, mom, no disrespect, but I felt like I wanted to choke you or punch you in your face. Oh, yeah. I really did. Yeah. 
And but that day was when I realized because it was many years. This happened when I was about fourteen or fifteen years old. Okay. And so I didn't see this man again ever until I got married to my son's dad. And I was about twenty, I want to say twenty five when I got married to my son's dad. Mm-hmm. And um, so over like 10, 11 years, I'm just now seeing him, and you bring him to my wedding. Wow. So I thought I was, like, over it. Yeah. Um, because I was going to, I was in counseling. I started counseling in my, um, I want to think my freshman year, either freshman year or early sophomore year in college. Okay. And so I felt that I was going to be okay if I ever saw him again. And I remember that day. He came in front of me. He came with his wife and his kids. And I got upset. I got really angry. The reason why I got angry because I saw, I can't remember if it was one or two of them, but I saw that he had a daughter. A daughter of daughters. Oh, yeah. And they weren't that much older than me. And Mm -hmm. I remember when his daughter spoke to me and I didn't even say anything back to her. Yeah. I was just angry because I'm like, you have daughters and you think it was okay for you to do this to somebody else's Mm -hmm. daughter. Mm-hmm. How would you feel? Like these were the questions I want to ask ask him. Yeah, right at that moment, right there at your wedding, at my wedding. But I didn't want to take away from my day. And then I saw his wife, and that's the problem with I don't I don't see it as a problem because I feel like that's part of me. Mm-hmm. But I'm always considering other people than my feelings. Mm-hmm. That day too was the reason why I didn't say anything because his wife brought me a gift and she handed the gift to me, but I wouldn't like grab it from her. Mm-hmm. And I remember I saw the look on his wife's face because she was talking to me and I didn't want to say anything back to her. And she spoke to me and I didn't say anything because I had a strapless dress and I had goosebumps all over mm-hmm. me and I was shaking and my heart was racing. And I remember like my armpits got sweaty and I felt like I was going to have like a panic attack. Yeah. At that moment. Yeah. And I froze and I didn't know how to walk away and move away from him. And then my son's dad came and put his hand around my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And that's when, when I felt him, that's when I was able to like walk away from them. And I went to my brother. I said, you wouldn't believe what your, I did. I didn't say it to her face, but I said, what your uh-huh. effing mom did. <laughs> and he said, what? I said, she invited him. She invited him. And once I told my brother him, he already kind of knew who I was talking about. He turned and looked and he, he said, why the F will mom do that? Why would she do that? And I just, I didn't want to talk to her. I told yeah. him, I said, keep her away from me. And she came over trying to like talk to me. And I said something disrespectful to her and she got mad. But I wow. was, and what she said to me wasn't even related to him or, mm-hmm. but I just didn't want her talking yeah. to me. And yeah. she didn't understand. Yeah. And I said something disrespectful to her and she was like getting upset about it. And then I think my aunt or other people went to her to calm her down or something mm-hmm. like that. But I'm like, and now you're playing like the victim. And I was just upset with her. Yeah. And, but that day I realized that, man, I'm so afraid of this man. I'm still afraid mm-hmm. of him. Wow. And she even turned around and invited him to my brother's graduation. And I couldn't go in the house. Like, I was hanging outside most of the time. Like, my my mom is the type of Christian that holds her pastors mm-hmm. to a certain level. Ah. To me, in my opinion, I tell her that I feel like she holds them to, like, God's standard. And I mm-hmm. hate that, mm-hmm. that she does that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I don't see, and I know that the pastor impacted that, but man or woman, you are human. You yeah. are a, 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 a imperfect being like uh-huh. everybody else. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I don't care how many, how great, even ben, what is ben, Benny Han, Han the, the pastor that just died, and he was like this. Oh, Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Yes, yes. Billy Graham. He's the, the, a world-renowned pastor, mm-hmm. even the Pope. I don't mm-hmm. care who you are. Mm-hmm. There's no way I can never see you as holier than mm-hmm. God. I think there's a lot of corruption in church because people hold priests, pastors, preachers yeah. to this very high standard. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up Catholic. I'm not Catholic anymore because there were priests that did things mm-hmm. that they should not have done. Mm-hmm. And, um, people just kept letting them do it, you know? Um, you know, even like sometimes I, I, I try to not even say that I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. but I always, there's no, nobody can ever come tell me. I respect every single religion and whatever, you know, path, Mm-hmm. spiritual path mm-hmm. a person choose mm-hmm. but for me i feel like i'm going to respect whatever decision you choose to make spiritually mm-hmm. but i believe in god mm-hmm. and had it not been for god there was no way i feel that mm-hmm. i would be here today yeah because i can't even count a handful of time how many times i've literally tried to kill myself mm-hmm. i can't count how many times that i um Like, I just wanted to give up. Yeah. You have a heavy story. Yeah. I mean, it feels very bleak at points. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it is, for me personally, yeah. I feel it's my higher power. And that's God yeah. that kept me here to this day. Yeah. So I strongly, wholeheartedly work hard. I even feel bad when I tell somebody look beautiful and they don't, <laughs> you know, or they're skinny when they're fat. You yeah. know, this, we you know those little petty lies that we yeah. tell to make people feel better yeah. because I don't like to hurt people feelings, but I feel bad. And I always apologize to God because mm-hmm. I, I feel even with my kids and my husband, like that's my everything, but I don't owe them anything mm-hmm. but God. But God, like for me, my purpose mm-hmm. Is to build a strong personal relationship with God. Yeah, that's what I I strive for all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I learned that for myself. So sometimes I feel what I've went through. Mm-hmm. Though it was some of the worst things that I could ever put on. I don't have any enemies, but anybody that you know, anybody. Period. Okay, Oz, you just said I don't have any enemies. You have some men that did some horrific things to you but you just said i don't have any enemies no i don't because wow that is it not my enemies um even the pastor (laughs) but but i I didn't think that before though you know Mm -hmm. it's been a process and because i had to go through a phase of forgiveness because honestly um and i realize that now is that not forgiving someone's torture not forgiving someone is torture. It's torture. Wow. Because you live out, you live your life just constantly. That person's on your mind. You have this mm-hmm. hate and this mm-hmm. anger for them. Yeah. And it's eating you up inside. 
you see something that reminds you of them, mm-hmm. you just get upset. Like that's hurting me. Mm-hmm. And because I've been working on building my relationship with God, one of the biggest thing he talks about is to forgive. Like, how can you you expect him to forgive you, but you can't forgive you know someone else? Mm-hmm. So, because I know that God has that expectation for me to forgive others, just as he's forgiven me, mm-hmm. I need to forgive them. And so, that's why I worked on forgiving any and everyone who has hurt me. That's huge because that's, I mean, there's few and far between people that can do that, that can stand there and have just that deep level of wisdom that, okay, this is, this is what I've got to do. Um, that I'm, I am, I'm worthy of so much and I've got to, I've got to make space for that and I'm worthy of God's love. And and so I need to, because I think that that must've been a journey with you to understand that you are, worthy <laughs> and I'm still on that journey yeah I'm still, I, I don't think it's something that I don't think it, it ends I think mm-hmm. it's a lifelong journey yeah um, and I'm still on that and like you said love love one another mm-hmm. as he love us so yeah. um I'm still working on the loving part mm-hmm. um <laughs> but the forgiving part I think I'm you know I think I'm I'm doing a good job on that um, I, one of the things I've been kind of questioning and asking myself because is if I would be willing to sit with him. I just, are we talking about the pastor? Yeah. Holy cow. Holy cow. I, I will, I will be willing to sit with him to, number one, to tell him that I do forgive him, but to also ask him why. Yeah. Like, because I want to understand, you know, what was his mindset? Because mm-hmm. I don't know his story, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm willing to understand his story. You're willing to understand his story. Wow. So, um, I wish he wasn't preaching anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> was he married when he did that to you, or he got married? Yeah, his at- wife was in Liberia. His wife oh. and kids. He was just here by himself. Oh, he came first. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm saying. Like I'm. There's there's a lot to his, you know. Yeah. And and not that is, it probably shouldn't matter to me, but. I feel we all, like I said earlier, we all have our stories, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and everybody have their own pain. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was his pain, what was his struggle. I don't know mm-hmm. if somebody did that to him. I don't know. Okay. Um, so it is not a lifelong mission thing. Like mm-hmm. I feel like it has to happen. I'm mm-hmm. not looking forward to like, oh, I have to make this happen or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not something I'm pushing. But if it were to ever, if I were to be in that space, mm-hmm. I would be willing to invite that dialogue with him and I. Wow. So. I mean, that's huge. I mean, I'm just, I'm floored and, and I almost feel like humbled by the fact that you would have that. And in your words, I would invite him to that mm-hmm. space. That's, that's huge. And it's very admirable. Because I, I don't know. He will, he will 
really think I would want to talk to him. So yeah, that's why I feel I have to. to kind of put the invitation mm-hmm. out there and say, you know, I'm willing to have this conversation. I mean, sometimes I think about, um, I do not have the same story as you do, but there was physical assault. And I, I, I sometimes when I'm in the same area of town that that happened, I'll feel panicky. Like I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. And I don't want to, I, I'm, you know, and I mean, this happened when I was 17 and I'm 42. Um, so, I mean, I just, there was so much more that happened to you than happened to me. And I, I'm not even anywhere near that. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so, okay, let me ask you this. Everybody has a point. I believe everybody has a point mm-hmm. where they turn around and they face it. They're like, this has to stop. I've got to make a change. Like you said, your story can change. So your your story is very much on this, this path with these men are just being, are just taking such advantage of you and you don't feel like you've got this voice. And um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're not worthy enough to say, son of a, no, no more. I don't know how to. <laughs> you didn't know how to at that point. So are you at that point? And if you are, what brought you to the point where you turned around and said, I can't do this. Something has to change.